Hey, this is the Holes of Remark show, and today I am talking to my lovely guest, Jean Boydier. If I got that right again, I'll probably get it wrong. But here is her little bit of a bio. Jean is a freelance writer and researcher with wide-ranging interests and boundless curiosity. She lists the veil through covers the truth and investigates a wide variety of topics from ufology to politics, health, finance, technology, arts and more. A practice mystic and spiritual seeker with advanced degrees in computers, psychological and educational. A BA in French psychology with secondary teaching certificate. Jean is dedicated to exposing conspiracies, cover-ups, suppressed sources and occult knowledge. Jean has been following conspiracy theories since the John F. Kennedy lone gunman assassination theory that began to fall apart in the 1970s. At the same time, her long life, long, lifelong passion for UFO and extraterrestrial research was kindled by Eric von Denikin's 1968 book, Chariots of the Gods, as well as works by Dr. Alan Hayneck, who during the 1950s and 1960s served as his historical consultant to the United States Air Force Project Blue Book. Right ending at the synonym Light Worker 111, Jean has been the lead contributor to the dailyconspiracy.com since September 2017 and has submitted over 150 articles to date. Since the time is right to share her findings with others who, who are awakening to unconsciousness, Jean is preparing her first book titled The Top 10 Definite US UFO Cases, with publication appreciated at the end of July, this paranormal primer will introduce you the public, general public to the ultra taboo topic of ETs and craft their part, their, their, their pilot while leading the reader to an uh, understanding why this subject is the best kept secret everyone knows about. And hi, Jean. Hi, Mark. That was a mouthful. Oh, it was. Just to set the record straight, the name of my upcoming book is The Top Ten Definitive U.S. UFO Cases, and my name is Jean Claire Broida. Call me Jean, and Mark, I thank you for having me on your splendid show. I think you can tell already, folks, I'm a yank across the big pond. Happy to be with you. Now, have you witnessed a UFO yourself, Jean? I may have done as a very young child. I have a couple of strong nightmare episodes, nightmares that I remember, even to this day. I made a point of remembering everything that happened to me until I was 10 years old, everything in my life. At that point, too many things were happening to keep track of it all. Also, it seemed far less important for some reason. But I had a couple of nightmares that may well have been what I've read subsequently are masks. They mask what really happened. The imagery was suggest- suggestive of one of these masking events. Uh, if you if you believe there are UFOs with alien occupants that 
are kidnapping or abducting, taking people for experimentation, as many people do, and I suspect is true. I may have been one of one of I may have been one of those people as a child, and child abductees can't talk, so they can't tell anybody what happened. When I told my mother what had happened, she said they were nightmares, and I believed what she said. What can I what can I say, Mark? Many people know they've seen UFOs. I'll say one thing. I, I don't want to have hypnotic regression, perhaps out of fear of what I would remember. But what about you, Mark? Have you seen a UFO? No, I haven't. But I seriously believe there is life out there. Because when you look at how many planet, planets there are in the known universe, we can't be just a lucky one that said, hey, look, there's two bits of stone. Planet, we're bashing together, we'll form a planet with loads of water, and we'll make life. Do you watch Star Trek, the TV show? I've, I've watched Star Trek from the original series, and there's a few I don't like, series I don't like. One of them being Enterprise. Are you Enterprise. From, I don't like Enterprise. Are you, they talk about M-class planets, planets yes. capable of yes. supporting carbon-based life. Yeah, life. Yeah. So... There's lot, it was Drake's equation, I believe, that given the probability of known, well, the number of planets we suspect are in the galaxy based on measurement, our, our primitive measurement, that it's unlikely, it's, it's improbable to the point of impossible that we are the only intelligence in the galaxy, much less the universe. And then you get to the Fermi paradox, which I just found out about Wednesday night on Kat Hobson's excellent show, Paranormal Experience, here in the States, that this guy, Fermi, who was a physicist, said, well, given Drake's equation, where are these beings? Where are they? They're not here. But that guy died in 1954. Fermi died in 1954. By, by then, UFOs were showing up after the United States detonated a couple of nuclear bombs to stop World War II in the Japans and wiped out, well, effectively neutralized Hiroshima and wiped out Nagasaki, another town, with lingering radiation consequences that shocked the world, or hopefully shocked the world. The world seems not to care that nuclear explosions are devastating and have lingering side effects on the environment and on us. But the aliens, interestingly enough, if you believe in such things, which I do, are keenly interested in our nuclear development programs and our military deployment of the same, not only here in the United States, but in Great Britain and Europe and around the world. I see that you, me, you're a great fan of the Project Blue book. I remember it from the TV series that I watched mm. some time ago. I know I can't I I because it, it I think it was called Project Blue book. I can't remember what when I watched it, but I do remember watching it. Project Blue book was the government's response to so many reports of UFOs from military observers, who of course are imminently credible, especially when there's a mass sighting and everyone in a maintenance crew on the surface and everyone on the security patrol 
guarding the maintenance crew sees UFOs zoop around, uh, swoop around, and dart around, hover. These were all technologies unknown in the day, and what was really freaking them out was all this aerial phenomena is noiseless, no sound, creepy, and they would hang and hover, and they were big and glowing and ready orange, red orange. Uh, these guys must have been soiling their diapers, so to speak, and trying to be calm. They're in charge of defending United States security, for heaven's sakes, but they've met a superior force. And what's interesting for me as a researcher is that the superior force, the UFOs, are not aggressive. Well, they are aggressive. They are not hostile. They could be shooting. Instead, they're probing with beams, seemingly. They send beams down. What would they be doing? They must be intelligence gathering. That's my best educated guess. But again, we don't know. We don't know what they're doing. And they are not, apparently, they're not talking about what they're doing. Much. I read the other day, and this is through um, the internet source, that the first sighting reported, and I know it's not the actual real sighting, was back in 1947. I know there's sightings before that because I've, I've read about them, probably back in the 18th century as well. I think you're talking about the Kenneth Arnold sighting in the United States. Is that true? Yes, yes, yes. It's actually the second chapter in my book, the top ten definitive U.S. UFO cases. And what I mean by definitive, by the way, is that as I, as you'll see in the book, chapter by chapter, I show how chronologically these cases, these ten cases, set the stage for the truth embargo on UFOs. This is Steve Bassett's term for the United States cover-up of something they know full well is true and whose resources they are in fact exploiting to their own advantage. I show case by case how we are led through military cover-up and CIA propaganda intentional campaign to keep the truth concealed and to ridicule people who believe in the phenomenon. You're not one of those crazy people who believes in UFOs, are you? Well, yes, I am. But why do you, why do most people not believe UFOs exist? It is because of these 10 cases. That's the point. So chapter two, Kenneth Arnold. Here's a guy, he's a businessman, and he conducts his business in the Washington state, United States, it's the northwest corner of the United States, a state just south of Canada. He's flying around Mount Rainier, which is an active volcano, dormant at the time or not, not quaking. It was snowy in the peaks, but a Marine plane had gone down, a United States Marine plane had gone down, actually it wasn't a Marine plane, let me not get too bogged down. A Marine plane had crashed. 32 Marines were missing. And not only were military aircraft, now that the weather had cleared enough for aerial surveillance and sweeps to look for the downed aircraft, they thought it would be hard to see because of the snowy peaks, the white background. 
this civilian pilot joined the search because families of the missing Marines had offered a significant cash reward for finding them. And he wanted to make a little money on the side. Also, he was a patriotic United States citizen after World War II. Uh, This was in 1947, June 24th. So he's taking an hour detour from his flight path, which was eastbound out of the Seattle-Tacoma area. It's actually Yakima. He left Yakima, and he's heading toward Yakima to the east. So he's flying along and sweeping up and down canyons of Mount Rainier, and he's just about to give up. He's flying away, and he notices what is basically a flotilla of nine lights or reflecting objects. They weren't so much lights in the sky. This was broad daylight. These were objects that reflected light. And he thought at first, given the formation, these were geese. But he was at 14,000 feet or so. On the peak of Mount Rainier is above 14,000 feet. He was flying somewhere around there. And geese just don't fly that high. They were also going very fast, he determined. And they darted about, their motion was like saucers skipping over water. And he got really excited and continued to watch. He clocked them. He rolled his window down. They had crank windows on aircraft, if you can believe it. He rolled his window down. He checked his eyeglasses. He he did everything he could to make sure he wasn't dreaming or seeing something uh, imagining something, basically. It was really, really there. And when he got to Yakima, he started doing quick math, and these things were traveling awfully, awfully fast. And the word got around the base, and all of a sudden, reporters showed up at his next final destination, where where his home was, and the story hit the news wires. And the next day, Arnold was interviewed on radio and broadcast to the United States and perhaps to the world. And he recounted his story very excitedly, and you can hear him on YouTube. It's a fascinating story. The motion of the aircraft reminded him of the tail of a kite, the tail of a Chinese kite. So I actually did research on these kites, and they have panels with strings attaching them that articulate out to the back. And so where the lead kite goes, these other dependent tail sections follow, but they're not exactly behind in a military formation, not like soldiers marching in, in a line. They they follow aerodynamic curves, if you will, and aerodynamic motions, and that's how these craft were flying that day. Then, two weeks later, the Roswell crash happened. Well, I find it fascinating because at the time, he reckons he was misquoted, that he didn't actually say, and he didn't actually say UFO. He didn't say flying saucers, Hmm. which is how the Chicago Sun ran their headline that this pilot had seen flying saucers. And he was misquoted. You're correct there, Mark. Uh, He never saw saucers. These craft were shaped like a Delta kite. And again, I was researching kites, and I found a Life magazine article that was quoted in reference 
to well, it would it it pertained to Kenneth Arnold's reference to the Chinese kites. I got a hold of this Life magazine article that had inspired makers of the Delta kite before kites were shaped with a curved front and a back that came back in a little tail, curved backwards on itself into a little pointed tail at the back, which is a delta-shaped craft. We know them today as modern aircraft, but in 1947, there were no such aircraft. We had box kites, uh, I should say flat kites. When I was a kid, it was flat kites. They were trying, well, they were, they were a square on the bias, made out of two sets of sticks covered with paper, maybe even newspaper or the comics. And we got rags from our parents and tied a tail on in sections, tied rags together to make a dragging tail for aerodynamics and had somebody taller help us launch a kite and the tail dragged behind and got tangled in utility wires or a tree. But then somebody in 1946, I think it was 1947, right around the same time, saw Chinese kites and got the idea to manufacture Delta kites, which had no tail dragging behind. And that's what Kenneth Arnold saw, a shape like a Delta kite with no tail. And one of the objects was round, more round and certainly not delta shaped. So one was exceptional, the eight others were that shape, flying around, doing their thing, ignoring him, and off they went and were never seen again, presumably, by anyone else. There were no other uh, reported sightings of these particular craft. But they launched what became a wave of UFO sightings in the United States in 1947. In fact, in July of 1947, and someone did a study on this phenomenon. It was so remarkable. Interesting stuff. Did you see that connection with Stonehenge I sent on the other day with and UFOs? I did. And I was happy to see Von Donegan's name mentioned. Eric Von Donegan, who authored the book that l helped launch my lifelong interest in uf UFOs and ufology, as I call it. Uh, he wrote Chariots of the Gods with a question mark in the title, Chariots of the Gods. And what he was hypothesizing, what he was supposing, was that UFOs carried ancient astronauts around and perhaps the progenitors or co-creators of our race, humans. And everything he said, he backed with archaeology or other studies. And yet, mainstream media and the mainstream reaction, the federal government reaction, certainly here in the United States, was, uh, guess what? Deny, discredit, ridicule, uh, and distract with other stories direct people's attention away, yet Van Donegan still lectures and still appears on his book and many, many other related topics. Once you start to get into it, it's never ending. The rabbit holes go down and down and out and out. And he was the one, as you, as your, the article you pointed me toward said, in the 1960s, he had already identified places like Stonehenge as a possible UFO landing site. And I think the top of Mount Sinai, as 
as cited in the Bible was definitely a UFO landing site. And I suspect that the top of the Greek mountain, Mount Olympus, where the gods allegedly resided or dwelled, and a, one feature of the top of Mount Olympus that's noteworthy is that from time to time it blasted off into the heavens, it disappeared, and flew away. Well, if that isn't suggestive of a UFO parked on top of a mountain, I don't know what is. <laughs> and no one, well, I shouldn't say no one has made that connection. Many people have made that connection, but have you ever heard of these people or their work? Why? Because mainstream media and prevailing wisdom say there's no such thing as UFOs, why do we not believe in UFOs? Because the United States federal government has done, has done such an artful job in suppressing that truth, in my opinion, and as I will show in my book. Now, over here, now this is only a, a, a theory of mine, and I can't back it up scientifically, so I do apologise. When I notice most posts to do UFOs, I normally find a ghost sighting and also a cryptid sighting, mostly on ley lines in the UK. I presume we've got ley lines in America, but I don't know if there's as well as research. We do. We do. I know exactly what you're talking about. Go ahead. And I think I think that this connection is important because I only wondered if there is a connection with paranormal and UFOs and cryptoids. Do you think so or not? I'd rather talk about ley lines. <laughs> I know, I know. I'll admit I know you right that, now, I, I know next to nothing about cryptoids. It's not my, it's not my bag, baby. <laughs> and I don't know that much about ghosts, although as a metaphysicist, as a Wiccan, as a witch, I have performed an exorcist with a working partner on a mansion in the United States, a, a very old, well, for us, not to you guys in, in, in Europe, but for us it was an old structure, haunted, and it was becoming annoying to people visiting. And so my partner at the time and I exorcised this ghost. But it's it's not it doesn't neither ghosts nor Bigfoot nor Nessie up in Loch Ness, none of that holds much interest for me compared to the United States' insistence on covering up the truth about UFOs. It right. is my cause, if you will. Okay, do you mean go on to ley lines then? So ley lines, yes. I encountered ley lines as a witch when my working partner showed me how to use copper wires to douse for them. And I suspect many of your listeners will know what dowsing is, where you take either, either a living branch from a tree, which has sap and life force, or a conductive metal like copper, and we were using ordinary clothes hangers made from copper, which we had cut apart and shaped into an L with a very long part and a shorter part for the handle. So the L is lying on its stomach, if you will. And we use these in our hands, one in each hand, to uh, just relax and let earth energy flow. Very helpful if you walk barefoot over the ground, but you don't have to. More pe Some people are more sensitive to this than others, but it's a 
an ability that certainly can be developed. Everyone has this ability to sense ley lines and other unseen forces. This is not woo-woo or voodoo science. This is a real thing, as I'm sure many of your listeners know, because people have been dousing for things like water successfully for hundreds of years before there were scientists saying it doesn't exist. So I'm that kind of researcher. I have a science degree in computers, but and I also have a, an undergraduate degree in psychology, so I have a scientific background, but I've been a mystic much longer than I've been a scientist, and for years and years, and probably ages and ages, I believe in reincarnation, I've lived other lives, and I know I've been Wiccan in many, many, many lives. I have a pagan perspective which recognizes female divinity as equal and complementary to male divinity. Some people see that, other people don't. What can I say? It seems to just be how we roll, Mark. Well, a lady I know who does dowsing, she has found, she found a graveyard that was not, that, that they knew existed, but nobody knew how to find it. And she, mm. she I, 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 I do forget, I've forgotten her name completely, so I do apologise. Mm-hmm. But she um, did the proper, she's, very much into dowsing and uh-huh. she found it quite readily I thought that was absolutely fascinating it is fascinating and what's fascinating is that again anyone can do this and you don't need to buy any fancy equipment a pair of coat hangers that may already be hanging in your closet thank you very much something to cut them with You might have to buy some pliers or wire cutters, I suppose. But then you can go out in your own yard and start walking about, and you'll see one wire deflect over the other. They'll deflect inwards or outwards. And this is not difficult. Some people have more talent than others, I think, inherently when they're born, but it can all be developed. And this woman you're talking about, by having done it again and again and again, knows the signs and reads the signs. She knows how the wire, how the wires are deflecting to show her which way to go, if you will. And you can see as you walk across any part of the earth, you're walking along, the wires are parallel to each other, and you cross a spot and the wires deflect. So you back up and the wires straighten out. And you go forward and they deflect again in the same way. You keep walking and the wires come back apart and go parallel. If you double back, you'll find the same field deflection. And if you go to the right or left of that position a few paces, you can get another crossing of the wires. And with with those data points, you can map a ley line, and that's what people are, are doing. And there are published maps of ley lines. All of the the ancient henges and mounds and sacred sites throughout Great Britain, all of them, lie not only on ley lines, but on crossings and confluences of multiple ley lines. And there's been a lot of research into great lines, great ley lines that connect sites around the earth, sites like Stonehenge to the pyramids, to Maya pyramids, to other things. And I'm no expert on this, but it's fascinating. And Great Britain is crisscrossed with these ley lines. 
Well, I have, a, I have another theory. Um, I mean, this is my theory. I think that we underestimate the intelligence of early man. Because early man had to have heightened senses in the environment that he lived in. And I think that that part is still part of our brain. And that's the part that helps us develop the skill of under, um, sensing like UFOs and other things of that nature. I absolutely agree with you. And when I was a school child, I had teachers who were very patronizing when they taught about ancient civilizations. And they presumed that these people were primitive, knew nothing about anything, and, she, and they basically laughed at these people. They were mocking. And I thought, I don't see that. I don't sense it, I don't intuit it, and I don't see it in the evidence that you're showing me in these pathetic little books back in the way back times when dinosaurs roamed the earth and I went to school. I knew they were wrong, and subsequent research is showing not only is, uh, is physical evidence that dates human origin going back further and further in time being pushed back. I just read today some teenage student in Europe has found a prehistoric tooth of a human, Homo sapiens sapiens, that pushes back the date another quarter million years, 250,000 years, I think it was. I suspect there were that, that humans were plenty intelligent. If you look at other animals, they're plenty intelligent. Maybe not reasoning kind of intelligence, but they have emotional faculty, and they can think. Insects have a different kind of thinking. They have a hive mentality. A lot of them do. But mammals have individual personalities. We know they feel emotionally as well as pain and pleasure. We know they can do problem solving to some extent, to some degree, species by species, some more than others, to think that so-called primitive, or let's just say ancient man, not primitive, ancient humans were incapable of figuring things out. I, I don't know. I wasn't there. I suspect that the emotional faculties and the extrasensory faculties of their brains were more developed as compared to where we are today and their ability to reason perhaps less developed and that that's what the aliens were tinkering on they wanted to improve that facility that faculty to reason and they wanted and i think they actually injected if you will into our genes they spliced into our genes the ability to commune with our higher selves who in turn can commune with their if, I don't want to say etheric presences, although that may be true, metaphysically speaking. These beings are beings of light, and they take on physical form to suit themselves, and when the occasion requires it, on dense planets. Planets are gases that have cooled enough to condense, and they are literally dense. So they have to take a physical form sometimes to deal with terrestrial conditions like uh, gravity, electromagnetic fields, and I think they use ley lines, by the way, to navigate and orient themselves, and perhaps as power sources, too. That's rambling there a bit, and I apologize. That's okay. I've got, um, wait a minute. I'm thinking of tracking my question there. 
Now, when you do the, the research <laughs> side of it, now I'm finding some of the subjects I used to research in are very much harder since the new regulations about the data protection laws came in. And it's very much harder to find information. Well, I, that, that, for my side of view, you probably don't find that problem, but. Honestly, I don't know much about the issue at hand. My sense is the, the, the network security or data security. I, I don't know. Yeah, so are you talking about net neutrality? Uh, it's a European thing coming from Europe uh, about uh, general data protection. What is that? It basically means it's harder to find things out because basically Ugh. people people can have to um, can say if they don't want you to access their information or not. So they're sanitizing the internet for your protection. Correct. That's satire. Well, that is unfortunate. That is unfortunate. As a person who was involved with the so-called invention, no, not the invention of the Internet. I was just thinking of Al Gore, the ridiculous U.S. politician who claimed to have invented the Internet. What an idiot. But be that as it may, in 1995, I was helping to develop a company that was one of the first internet service providers in the state of Colorado in the United States before Microsoft was offering internet service and before the local phone company was offering internet service and before anyone knew that telephony resales, which is what internet services would ultimately be controlled by the large telephone companies and AOL, which survived somehow through all of that. Um, I I abhor censorship of all kinds. I rail against Facebook in my articles for the dailyconspiracy.com, written a couple on Facebook. Censorship is abhorrent and awful. I can't I can't express my distaste enough for what's going on over there. I I, I have no way to advise you, only to console you. Here in the United States, it's almost as if there's too much information. But I will say one thing. Sometimes online, getting information that is dated is difficult because it seems as if data gets archived. And so, for example, I'm researching the Malmstrom Air Force Base incident, which happened in the northern United States, northwestern United States, in 1967. And I remember maybe four years ago, reading articles about the, there were actually two incidents that day, each of which shut down a minimum of 10 intercontinental ballistic missiles. And those, so it was a total of 16 to 18 ICBMs shut down for about 18 to 20 hours, which represented maybe 30%, one third of the United States national air defense system and it was done by it was done coincidentally with ufos flying around overhead did they cause it i can't say that but probably yes and i think the military thought so but in any event it's i can't find those articles now and i think it's i, I don't 
although I investigate conspiracy theories, in this case, I don't think it's a conspiracy theory per se in the United States. I think it's a matter that there's so much data available, it has to be archived. But I am sorry to hear if Big Brother has put a choke chain, choke chain on you, the people of Great Britain. That's not good news. I, I, I like the fact that you are into conspiracy theories because there's some lovely, wonderful ones out there. And the more you get into them, the more bizarre they get. Well, that's the truth. And then we get into borderline fake news as well, I think. Which is why a lot of people, when confronted with genuine conspiracies, fall back on the CIA propaganda. If you believe that a conspiracy happened, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. But that's a bad, they say it in a way that you know it's a bad thing. The way they say it, it's a bad thing. Oh, they, it's sneering and mocking. It's ridiculing. Oh, you're not one of those crazy people who believes that there was more than one gunman to kill John F. Kennedy Jr. here in the United States. Oh, you're not one of those crazy people who think that UFOs really touched down in Rendlesham Forest over there on a U.S. air base with new nukes, I might add, in Great Britain. You're not one of those people, are you? Well, yes, I'm a conspiracy theorist, and I'm proud of it. And that's the title of one of the earliest articles I wrote for The Daily Conspiracy. I am a conspiracy theorist. A conspiracy is merely a group of people getting together and planning some evil deed, breaking laws. And a theory is something you suspect is true, but you don't have enough facts yet to prove it's true. It happens all the time in science. There's all kinds of conspiracy theorists. It's not a bad thing. The CIA made it a bad thing. It, I find it quite humorous that people still believe that anyone who looks at conspiracies is a nutter. <laughs> no, we're probably more sane than anyone else. But did you see the theories that I sent you about the um, my paranormal theories that I sent? I did. Now... I'll I'll discuss a little bit with you and you can break them down and dismiss them. It's up to you. Now, I think God is schizophrenic. Why do I think God is schizophrenic? Because in the Bible, I'm sure it quotes that we are made in God's image somewhere in the Bible. And if we're made in God's image, we are both good and evil. So God must be both good and evil. That's an excellent talking point, Mark. Let's spin it toward my perspective. I don't believe in a single male god. I believe in a pantheon of gods and goddesses, as many pagans do, pagans being non-Christians, shall we say. So... When the Bible says man or humans were created, it uh, doesn't talk about his image. It says their image, actually, <laughs> plural, their image. I thought it was misquoting it. And if you go with 
I think it depends on which translation you go with. And you've got to remember, the Bible was written in, written, written. The Bible was written in some ancient, ancient language, Aramaic, right? Which was translated into ancient Greece and ancient Hebrew, which then have been translated into other languages. And even in English, there are versions of the Bible, King James and others. And again, I'm no, I don't claim to be a Bible scholar, but even I know this. Even as a pagan, I know this. There's lots of Bibles, and they're all translated differently. But the gist of it is that we were made in their image, and who were they? They were these aliens, or gods, because if you were a, an ancient human, and these beings showed up, they would certainly, and especially if they said we're gods, we, don't, we weren't there, we don't know what went down exactly, but they apparently walked among proto-humans. Evolve. I, I hate to say evolving because I think they were genetically manipulating us, uh, taking uh, an earlier stage of our development and especially our brain development and giving us the ability to have much more psychic acuity, psychic talent, much more than other animals so that we could basically talk to them or they could listen in on us might be the better way of thinking about it because they also apparently something – made us forget that we have that talent or ability. That might be our federal governments doing that. Not sure. Because in, in the United States, the Native Americans still preserve through their oral history that they have the ability to talk to the star brothers, the star fathers. They talk about star fathers and earth mothers, which again is an interesting paradigm, suggesting that sperm came from the cosmos, the stars, and the physical body, corpus, came from Mother Earth, which would be a metaphor for aliens of, and it's not clear to me that they have genders. I don't know what they got going on. They don't talk about themselves very much. But humans had gender, male and female, and they tinkered with us. Our gene, our DNA, our gene structure and our DNA has elements that don't occur in any other mammals. It's thought that these are the alien components of human DNA and that they gave us faculties and abilities that other animals do not have that set us apart, but that we were made in their image. And what does that mean? One head, two arms, two legs eyes, nose, mouth, ears. We don't know exactly what it meant, and I suspect in the original language that this information was captured in, this whole thing that we think of as God said or the God said that we were created in their image, his image, whichever way you you read that, that may be a total mistranslation of what the original intention was. We don't know. We don't know. I don't know. I also believe a that... Lot things, a lot of meaning gets lost in translation along the way. I do know that. I, I have studied linguistics and languages, and I do know that, uh, for example, classic case, American Eskimo, a tribe of Native Americans, American Eskimos, we would call them, have maybe 20 words to describe various states of snow and ice. For example, they have a word for snow that just fell and it's soft on top. And they have a word for snow that just fell, and it's hard on top. 
you know, and they have words for snow that fell several days ago, and it's glassy, it's icy, it's hazardous. They, they have words that describe the qualities of snow because they have a lot of snow. <laughs> hmm. I also think that God isn't a being. I think it's like an energy force. And when we join I, it, I think that like you said about the hive, I think that our energy, we all like become like a hive, like a light in a hive. And it would reverse if you, the other way, it goes into the dark light. I don't know, Mark. It's an interesting idea. It's an interesting notion. I do believe, I agree with you there, that there does appear to be, I intuit that there is a a single God force, and that it is positive light, and its characteristic is love. To quote the Beatles, love is all there is. All there is is love. Lots of people have said this, lots of great mystics and masters over the millennia on earth have said this. Put down your weapons, get along, and love each other. Yet it seems so difficult. Go figure. Yeah. And um, I was, if you heard my, when I was talking to Emily the other day, Manhouse, I was mentioning about ghosts in films, that when we watch a film, I, I use John Wayne as an example because it was just an easy example to use. That John Wayne's been dead quite a long time now, but we accept him as we watch him on the film, as example True Grit. We watch it and we totally believe that person for an hour or two hours or whatever the film is. But technically, we are watching a ghost. I Again, Mark, interesting observation, but I claim, I'm, I do not claim to be an expert on ghosts. But I always thought, what do you think of this? I always thought ghosts were people's spirits that still had business or had unfinished business here on earth after the physical body died and that quite often ghostings arise when people die suddenly and unexpectedly or if it's been a long malingering death a long illness and they know they're going to die there was something they didn't tell somebody or something they didn't do and they want to hang around the earth plane after they don't even have a body anymore to get that done or they're mad angry well mad to you means insane they might be insane but angry with someone and uh, these are the negative hauntings uh, that uh, they want to get even get revenge they can't give it up they can't let go and go on when i watch a film with a brilliant actor like john wayne i remember john wayne i it's not even that I remembered him when he was alive. When he was alive, he was an old man for me, given my chronology. He was already an older man. So the films bring alive the memory. Is that the same as a ghost? What do you think? Oh, that's what I meant. It's like we are watching the spirit of him. Not as a, mm, Now that I would agree with. Yeah, not essentially a ghost ghost, as the meaning of mm. a ghost. But that's what I meant, the spirit of the actor is still there embodied absolutely in keeps the, the spirit alive which is why a lot of people become rather obsessed and absorbed with leaving 
a laugh, leaving a laughing. Yeah, that's my. That's what I'm obsessed and absorbed with. I want to leave a laughing mark on the world. People, other people, more serious, want to leave a lasting mark on the world. Harlan Ellison, the prolific science fiction writer, died recently, and I read an article about his passing. He said about himself, "I lived, and for a while, I mattered." It's very true, though, isn't it? We're more self-absorbed now than we ever was as a, as human beings. Well, that's a broad and sweeping statement, Mark. I'm, oh, as sorry, a scientist, yeah. I'm not sure I can pull behind that. Much as I want to support your ideas, I want to stay optimistic until proven otherwise. Everyone is different. I am encouraged by innovative and positive thinking coming out from all sorts of unexpected places, young minds, middle-aged minds, and older minds. What's encouraging is that people are turning their backs on prevailing wisdom, so-called, and just saying no to institutions like NASA in the United States that says we won't, that has limited space development, development of craft to go into space. And so we have Elon, Elon Musk, boy genius, who founded PayPal, PayPal and then sold it for millions of dollars, which he put into Tesla Motors and SpaceX. And SpaceX, of course, with their big Falcon, Falcon X, uh, launched successfully this spring. They have a recyclable launch rocket system to launch rockets, launch the payload into space, and then those components return to Earth to be used again as a commercial deployment. It's brilliant. The man's a genius. I, I'm encouraged by this. But And he's very well publicized. He's a billionaire. He gets a lot of press. But there's a lot of innovation going on at much more modest levels that doesn't get much press. There's another boy genius. As far as I'm concerned, he's a boy genius. He's European. I, I apologize. I think he might be Danish, but I'm not sure. But he's the dude who had a TED Talks when a TED Talk when he was 18 years old. It's on YouTube. He had proposed a, a method, a realistic method, to clean up these big piles of ocean trash that spiral, circle around garbage patches in the oceans. There's five of them, I think. They're just enormous. And he invented a way to clean it all up. And now, five years later, I'm seeing videos on social media where they're doing it. He, he attracted an investor, and they're building the ships and the systems, and they're going out, and they're going to clean up the garbage, the plastic garbage out of, out, that will break down into microplastics that are the worst threat to life on Earth because the little plankton eat them, and then the bigger fishes eat them, and it goes on up the food chain. And we already have sea creatures that are washing up on shore dead, and when you open them up, they're full of plastic garbage. It's very distressing. Yeah, very distressing. Now, do you think... But that encouraging that, that creative minds are going beyond the traditional naysaying limited thinking that, no, we can't do it. There's nothing we can do about it. They're saying, oh, forget that. We're going to go ahead and solve the problem while you all debate why it's impossible. I love that thinking. I'm encouraged by that. 
Do you think that we we will planet hop? I think that man will live on the moon. I seriously do believe that, and that we'll use the moon as a basis to go planet hopping. <coughs> Have you heard of the secret space program in the United States? Bits, I think, but not fully. There are many people, and I am one of them, who believes that the United States has had a secret space program for decades and has also been doing experiments and has ma in and has mastered time and space travel, that we already have bases on the lim limited bases on the moon and more bases on Mars and that we don't use spacecraft to get there. They have what was the term used by one of the <coughs> insiders from the Montauk project, which was mind control and time travel. They interrelate. It's bizarre, crazy, flipped out. But one of the survivors said they strapped him in a chair, basically, with electrodes, I suspect, and had a very powerful electromagnetic generator create a field around the chair with the occupant strapped in, and they could transport i don't know if their physical body went or just their mind i i don't know the ins and outs of it but they had every experience of being on the moon and then on ships at the edge of the solar system and those ships in turn were stations or or bases of a kind where you could travel into outer space outside the solar system and i guess it's corey good g-o-o-d-e who claims to be disclosing his personal experience in the United States Secret Space Force. Mm. If you want to look him up, C-O-R-E-Y, good. And he says, yeah, he signed a, I think it was a 24-year <coughs> non-disclosure agreement, and it expired, so now he can talk about it. it Unlikely as that may seem. You don't know. I mean, that's the beauty of things, isn't it? As you know from research... For everything you say, something will counteract it. I, as a skeptic, as a true skeptic, I look for the opposing view. And I want to judge it. I'll look for it. So uh, I was talking to Kat Hobson on her excellent show, Paranormal Experience, a couple of nights ago. And she brought up the subject of the Betty Hill star map. This from the first publicly broadcast U.S. UFO abduction case, which will be in my book. So Betty and Barney Hill tooling along victims of an alien abduction. Betty had roused herself from a sort of hypnotic trance that the aliens put the two human subjects into to take them aboard their ship, ship for testing, scientific testing, medical testing. So she recalled everything. She claims she had an animated chat with the leader of this group and that that leader when asked where do you all come from i don't think you're from around here showed her a three-dimensional star map hanging in the air with glowing stars and she said oh, that's very interesting she didn't know where we were on the map and the alien was disappointed in her limited knowledge about all of that. Uh, 
I believe I've lost my train of, of thought here, Mark. I know out. someone that's been adopted. I've talked to him. Uh, his name is Russ Kellett. K-E-L-L-E-T. I'll give you the link to him. Okay. And he was a very interesting man. He went into lots of detail about his adoption. And he believes that he is part of a military force. You broke up there a little bit. All right. Does this gentleman believe? He believes that he's part of them. They trained him into part of the military force as well. I'll try and find you the podcast I did with him and send you the, the podcast so you can listen to it. Well, I do remember what we were talking about now, thank you, and that was uh, U.S. Secret Space Force. Uh, it's hard to say if this guy Corey Good is a truth teller, but I suspect there's plenty of evidence that could be revealed under Freedom of Information Act in the United States. Uh, documentation's coming out because it's been 50 years, and, it ha and by law, it has to be released, if you can ask for the specific document. So military insiders know what documents to ask for, and they're getting them and publishing them. Even the CIA, the United States major intelligence agency, Central Intelligence Agency, on its website is publishing documents formerly classified, now declassified, that talk about UFOs and use that term. So no longer can the United States government say, we know nothing, we saw nothing, we hear nothing. They know plenty. They're just not talking. And I think they never will. They will, They never will. But ask yourselves, why all of a sudden, out of the blue, and according to him, just a spur-of-the-moment utterance. I'm talking about President, U.S. President Donald Trump. Six months ago, he had a pre – he was in a – public gather well not, i don't know how public it was he, he announced off the top of his head we the united states should have a space force and later he said you know it just popped into my head we ought to have a space force yeah right while and then he directed the united states pentagon to develop a new sixth branch of the military this is huge think of this uh, a new military branch this means organization and administration, jobs, training, and it's the Space Force. These are guys like Flash Gordon back in the day, 1950s. I don't know if you had him over in Britain yes, or not, I but him in a, a, comic strip, a comic strip military guy in, who had his, a ray gun and a rocket ship, and he zipped and zoomed around, and he did good deeds, <laughs> upheld the law in space. Oh, okay, and that's what something. Trump is proposing, that the United States uphold the law as we see it in space and shoot down Chinese armaments in space. The Chinese have announced that they intend to develop sp space-based platforms where they can, they can shoot interfering – shoot weapons that interfere with U.S. satellite communications, take down our – our comm links, so our, all our internet, all our phones go out, crippling us, presumably. Well, crippling our business. I, I also think, Jean, that you, when we watch movies, you know the movies about um, E.T. and the related films to UFOs, that, they, that, the, that the American government, through Hollywood, 
are getting us used to the fact that aliens may be coming to visit us soon. I think they're here and they've been here all along. The question is, is the federal government about ready to fess up that they've been lying to us for more than 70 years and go public with their disclosure? I think not. I don't think they ever will. I think there's nothing in it for them. However, the Space Force would give Trump an opportunity and future administrations as well. I, I don't – please don't get me wrong. I'm not idolizing Trump. I'm just trying to give a, an historical perspective here. As the man who is actually creating a sixth branch of the United States military called the Space Force, U.S. Space Force, that is going to defend United States interests in outer space, which is kind of scary if you think about mm. it, you know. Uh, if he's the guy who says now we have a space force under his watch. We've got his, his commander-in-chief of the United States military. Under his watch, we developed the sixth branch space force. All of a sudden, rapidly... We could hear rapidly, meaning in 10, 20, 30 years, the United States could hear, oh, we're going ahead with building bases on the moon and Mars, and we have these many people up there now. And over and five years later, we have these many people. By 2025, we'll have these many people. And basically lay a fictional found foundation and framework to, to explain – what is actually going on now that they can't confess because it would demonstrate to the world that they've been big fat liars for 70 years. I know you're a great fan of taboo, taboo subjects as well, Jean. Now, we, oh, have, absolutely. we have a personal taboo subject that relates to my wife. Now, my what wife that? suffers from incontinence. And that was due to the fact that she had to go to hospital and while she was in hospital, they obviously put the catheter on. And when she came home, she was on it. And it caused her to ha develop problems with going to the toilet. And ever since then, she's had severe incontinence. So at the moment, she has to have pads and various things we have to buy. And we, I've tried to put it out there a little bit because I think it's important subject to be discussed because I don't think it gets mentioned a lot that how women suffer or, and men as well with incontinence because people think it, oh we shouldn't talk about it I agree with you Mark and it is interesting which topics are taboo a lot of them have to do with our body functions including sex that's a big one although it's much less taboo than it used to be and, and, and so quickly as well. By the way, I sympathize with your wife. I'm sorry for her condition, and I pray her condition will improve. That's sometimes why I have to disappear when I'm on the radio, which is unfortunate, but I have to... I mean, it's not her fault. She has to go. <laughs> she just can't hold on. So I have to go and help her. Which is, you know, it, it can be a bit of a problem when you're on live radio, but not when you're on recorded. Well, speaking of recorded, uh, 
how long does the show go, Mark? I'm hoping you'll edit out this particular little portion. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I, I keep in what I like to keep in. I, I'm not worried. Um, now, I'm going to well, ask been, you... We've been, I, 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 I'm just wondering, if we've been at this uh, an hour. Uh, how much time do you need to fill in your show? Oh, I do as long as I want. It doesn't bother me. Ah, um, all right. I'm gonna, uh, I was going to ask you a weird question. Now, when you said you're a Toastmaster, when I read it on your bio, uh, biography, I thought, oh, does she know how to make toast really well? Like, does she do the brown toast, like, perfectly? So it's nice and brown, and the crust is perfect. But then I realised it meant something else. It means talking. <laughs> well, you know what a toast is at a banquet, surely. Yes, I know. I've just... I've just uh, Let's raise cups. Yeah. In fact, you probably, you Brits probably invented it for all I know. Raise cups and let's toast something. <laughs> it must be interesting but to But I'm do, also though. expert at making toast and I'll make it the way you like it, mate. I imagine it's a very interesting thing to do. Which? The toast making toasts or making toast? Well, both, I imagine. <laughs> I enjoy both. Actually, I do enjoy both. Toastmasters International is a club and a not-for-profit organization that promotes improvement of communication and leadership skills. And if you go to toastmasters.org, you'll find a club near you anywhere in the world. Oh, it might be worth trying to join one and see how you get on. It would probably improve you a lot more. If there was one over in Holmesworth, you'd join it. It certainly has helped me, although I was never afraid of public speaking. I've, I've been a musician all of my life, since age 10, and have done concerts. So I'd have no fear of getting up in front of people and making a fool of myself, or doing splendidly. Nothing phases me. I can take the good, the bad, the ugly. But many people fear public speaking or even being put on the spot in a small group. When all eyes turn to them, they blush and recoil. More people are afraid of public speaking than of dying, it turns out, which is a very interesting statistic. Well, I like to hide behind the radio because I've, I have done YouTube, but I found it a bit restrictive. But on the radio, I can ask questions like we're here on now, like a relaxed style, and like we're having a cup of tea or coffee or whatever. Lavender tea, I think you probably think you said. I do. I have some lovely lavender tea. And speaking of websites of interest, let's talk about mine for a moment, if you don't mind, no, as we wrap do, things do, up. Because that's what I was going to say. Please. Mention any website you'd like to, people to go to. There's a couple I have in mind. I write under the pen name Lightworker111 for a charming publication called TheDailyConspiracy.com, based in Florida, in the United States, available internationally. So if you find articles written by Lightworker, Lightworker111, that's me. And if you want to visit my fledgling website, which is built for lightworkers, all of us, 
anyone who promotes spiritual understanding, not necessarily spiritual agreement, but spiritual tolerance and understanding and enlightenment or uplifting of vibration through thought and emotion. If this interests you and you want to join in, please visit www.lightwork111.com, L-I-G-H-T-W-O-R-K, 111, the numbers, .com. Many hands make light work, so the saying goes. And together, by pooling our consciousness and pooling our ideas, it's my belief, we can affect the world. We, we can get rid of this no-you-can't attitude that our governments seem to be imposing on us and say, yes, we can. Yes, we can. And we, and we will, and we do. www.lightwork 111.com welcomes your contributions. Scroll down to the bottom of the welcome page. You'll see a link there if you'd like to submit some of your own writing. I have, Jean. I've, I've submitted something to, towards your site. Splendid. I should try and to I know that your, your listeners will want to do likewise. I should try to submit some more because I've got some other ideas that might help. Oh, God. Oh, oh, I have an I I'm a great believer in karma because I I do believe in karma. I I do believe that if you give good karma out, you get good karma back. And I've always thought if I can help one person in this world, I've, I've achieved something. You can't help the many, but you can help the one. So true. And that's what I like about you, Mark. You have such a great attitude, and despite the things that have happened to you. You've overcome those obstacles, and your voice goes out to so many people, more and more people. I watch with delight as your audience grows and grows. It tells me not only are you on the right path, if I may judge a little bit, your listeners are agreeing that the content is worthy of download and listening. Well, I try to be, I try to be interesting. I try to... Because of my background in mental health, and I, I worked in mental health for ten years, with very severe, dis, uh, mentally ill people. From Huntington's to create to frontal lobe, uh, dementia and stuff like that, and I dealt with challenging behaviour. You learn to talk to people as people, not the illness, mm. and I, I don't, mm. I don't like that because I'm ill myself, as I mentioned. And I don't like people when they treat you like an idiot. I'm a person. Mm, true that. If, if, if I'm a nasty person, I'm a nasty person. Nothing to do with the fact I'm disabled or not. I don't believe in that either. If you're nasty and disabled, you deserve to be told you're nasty. Don't, don't mock me, you know. Just because you're disability doesn't matter. Some people hide Well, and furthermore... I agree with you entirely, uh, and I also have been very, very ill where people looked at me like I was a pathetic wretch. I was, actually, at the time, but even so, people do judge by appearances, and uh, it's unfortunate but true, you know. Yes, it's the world we live in. Well, Jean, I'm going to sign off now, but I'm going to sign off as I'd like to do on my radio show. So, here goes, Jean. <clears throat> Ready? 
Thank you, Gene, for being on my show. We talked about UFO and conspiracy theories mentioned a bit. And we mentioned your site. Please go there, please. I hope you've enjoyed being on the show. You were a great guest, you know. And please make some toast for me. Then I can have it with my tea. Thank you for that. I'm speechless. Thank you very much, Omark, for that little tune. It was charming. In closing, I'd just like to remind everyone that Mars is very close tonight. Get out and look at Mars. The baleful red eye is staring down upon the Earth. <laughs> Thank you, Jean. Thank you, Mark. Have a splendid top of the evening, morning or afternoon as the case might be. Bye then.